Hello, everybody. Welcome. As we continue on in our study through the Bible, we're in the Old Testament. We did the New Testament already. We worked our way through the entire New Testament, a chapter at a time. It took us five years, and now we are 60 lessons into the Old Testament. We're doing pretty good. And um, we're in the book of Exodus now. And uh, uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 11 tonight. It's a very short chapter. Um, it's, it's an interesting chapter. It's, it's a very difficult chapter be because of what it sets up and what it happens. And um, I think the topic is difficult. So I want to I cover some things in there as we look at that. And then I want to take some time and talk about the, uh, the seven feasts of Israel because this kicks off the first one. Um, what's, you know, this whole idea of Passover is wrapped in there. And I just thought I wanted to lay out the seven feasts of Israel for you so that as they come up in our um, study, you'll, you'll be aware of what's going on and what that looks like. Um, and so this is one of the main events of Exodus, the, this whole idea of, of the Passover and these ten plagues that we've been looking at. And we're going to look, um, the next big deal is the crossing of the Red Sea. And then um, we're going to talk about the giving of the law. And then we're going to talk about the tabernacle. Um, and all those things have an impact on us today um, as we look at what Jesus has done in the midst of all those things and how so much of those things were a representation of him and what, they, um, what he would do and, and uh, sort of foreshadow um, our Messiah Jesus uh, in all these things. So... Um, so if you've, been, if you've been coming, you know that there's now been a series of plagues leading up to this final and tenth plague, which is the death of the firstborn. Um, they, they've been uh, um, tough plagues that have been going on. Um, they've, they've, you know, it's wiped out their economy. The last plague was like utter darkness for three days. I mean, pitch black darkness um, that they stumbled around in. Like, Try and even imagine what that was like, and um, Pharaoh has refused to let the people of Israel go time after time after time, and he's had opportunity certainly to do that, but he's, his heart's been hardened, and he's refused, and, um, and it, you know, in that last chapter, he basically told Moses to get out of his sight and never come back again. Now, as you get into chapter 11, it's a short chapter, 11 kind of fits in back into chapter 10. Uh, and so it's, it's a little out of sorts in its chronology. It actually comes between the last couple of verses in Exodus 10 would have been a better place for this whole discussion that happens. The Lord has a discussion with Moses, and Moses has another discussion with Pharaoh um, before he, he leaves um, for, um, before this last and, and final plague. Um, and uh, so, so the final plague is going to be the death of the firstborn. Uh, this is the last enemy, death. You know, 1 Corinthians 15, 26 tells us. And um, this, this plague is going to visit the land. And um, in one night when this happens, all the firstborn sons and all the firstborn livestock in Egypt will die. And there'll be a great cry throughout the, the land. And then Pharaoh will finally let the people go. Uh, in fact, he'll insist that they leave. And, um, and this 10th plague, as the others um, will not visit um, the, uh, the Jewish people um, because they belong to the Lord and because they're going to have a provision made for them that will bring up the idea of 
the Passover lamb. And so in the land of Goshen, what's going to, what, the, the only things that will die there are these year, year old innocent lambs. And um, one for each household. There's a reason for that. It's a picture of Jesus coming. And uh, it would be a pretty big and significant deal even there in having to deal with this. And this night will, will mark the inauguration of Passover, which is Israel's first national feast and which is celebrated every year um, as the first of seven feasts. And, um, and so I want to, we're going to look at the feast in connection with this today. So as we dig into those first ten, the, the ten verses in Exodus, remember the, their, um, the people of Egypt, they were first irritated by the first six plagues. Uh, they were irritating, annoying plagues, you know, frogs and gnats and flies and not, I mean, just not good things. Uh, and, uh, you know, I had that discussion with you. And then, um, then their land and possessions had been devastated by the next two plagues. And then, then the ninth plague was the day of darkness. Um, has now set the stage for the most significant of all the plagues um, when, uh, in effect, the, the angel of death would visit the land. In the, in the Psalms it says, uh, Psalm 78, 49 says, He unleashed them, uh, He unleashed against them His hot anger, His wrath, indignation, and hostility, a band of destroying angels. And so this is what's coming up here in the tenth plague. And uh, as I said, when I look at um, chapter 11, you'll see how a lot of it would have fit better in the last couple of verses of, uh, be sort of between verses 26 and 27 of Exodus 10. And um, um, God's, you're going to, you know, in that break, tell Moses he's going to send one more plague into Egypt, so terrible that Pharaoh would not only let the Israelites go, but would command them to go. And um, he will, in effect, drive them out of the lamb, land. Uh, Moses will tell the Jewish people the time had come for them to collect their unpaid wages for all the work that they and their ancestors had done as slaves in Egypt. And um, it looks like the word, it's translated to borrow, but um, actually it, uh, it just is to ask or request because um, they have no intention of returning this, so they're not borrowing it. They're going to go to their Egyptian neighbors and ask and request their for jewelry and pots and all sorts of other stuff and they're going to give it to them and um, it's payback it's God making sure they got paid for all of that work that they'd done and uh, it was a debt that was owed to Israel and God had promised Abraham that they would leave Egypt with great substance and he's going to make good on his promise and uh, and the, the people of Israel are going to have favor uh, with the Egyptians when they go to make this ask and they're freely going to give their wealth, wealth to the Jewish people. We're going to see that next week as we look at that. And um, Moses will address Pharaoh one more time um, and with a warning. Pharaoh's going to reject it because he had no fear of God in his heart and his heart had been hard and he didn't take Moses seriously. Even though you would think by now if someone had told you nine times these things were going to happen you, you, you might give it a clue, but he's like, not going to happen. So um, so now, these are, this is pretty significant. It's, we just can't kind of skip over these things, okay, because they're a pretty big deal. It seems like, you know, Pharaoh's responsible for this, but now the firstborn um, are going to pay the price. And um, why is that happening, and what's going on? So, uh, in, in many cultures, and particularly in Egypt, um, 
the firstborn sons were, were considered sacred. Uh, and um, so, so this is a huge deal. But, but you have to make these tie-ins now because God calls Israel um, his firstborn son um, in Exodus and Jeremiah and Hosea. And, and um, so there's, there's the allusion to that. Uh, and uh, at the very beginning of this thing in Exodus 4, we see Moses warns Pharaoh that the way he treated God's firstborn would determine how God treated Egypt's firstborn. So, not very well. Um, also, Pharaoh has, remember, tried to kill all of the Jewish male babies. Um, and, and he's been mistreating Jewish slaves. Um, so, in, in effect, this is, this is sort of Pharaoh's currency that's being spent now back against him in the way that he had treated God's people. And, and the things that he'd insisted um, in the process. And, you know, you're going to see this as well in the crossing of the Red Sea. Um, the, the Jewish babies were, were drowned. The male babies were drowned. Pharaoh's whole army is going to get drowned um, in, in response um, to this whole process that's coming up. You know, in, in Galatians 6, 7, it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. So, um, there's that that's mixed in there. Also, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on when you're reading the Old Testament. And, and um, there's, there's a lot of idea that, that God often rejects the firstborn son and chooses the next son to carry on the family line and receive the blessing. We've already seen that a lot in Genesis, right? God chose Abel uh, and, then, and then Seth, but not Cain. Um, he chose Shem, not Jeff, uh, Japheth. Um, Isaac, not Ishmael. Jacob, not Esau. Pretty fascinating how he skips over the firstborn and things oftentimes happen to the secondborn uh, son. And um, so, so, you know, Adam was, you know, the first Adam and Jesus is the second Adam. Also, um, if you think about it, so our first birth is, is not the one that's accepted by God. We have to experience a second birth, right? A spiritual birth before God can accept us. And so these things are all tied into the Scripture. Um, so in effect, the, the firstborn um, son sort of represents humanity's best, but, but that's not good enough for a holy God. And, and, and so there's this whole idea of this secondborn thing that's taking place. Um, because of our first birth, we inherit Adam's sin nature. But when we experience a second birth in Christ, we receive God's nature and we're accepted in Christ. And so this is in the mix of what we're about to read and talk about. And uh, the, God has put up with Pharaoh and the way he's treated his people for a long time. Um, he'd been warned many times, but wouldn't change. And, uh, uh, and, and in this process, God has humiliated all the little G false gods of Egypt, as well as Pharaoh, and demonstrated to all of them that he is the true and living God, as well as to his own people. All right, Exodus 11, 1 through 10, and then I want to talk about the feast. Now, the Lord had said to Moses, verse 1, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here, and when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably, disfavorably disposed toward the people, and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says, about midnight I will go throughout Egypt. 
Every firstborn son in Egypt will die from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who is at her hand mill and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there's ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any man or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. After that I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. The Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh refused to listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. So this sets up um, the events in Exodus 12 that we'll read about next week, and we'll, we'll begin to see this, this tenth plague take place, and the, the Passover will begin. And um, in, the, in the Passover... Um, What you're going to see is that the, the people of Israel will take a year-old lamb without defect. And they will select this lamb a few days before this night. And they actually, they sort of bring this lamb in and it kind of becomes part of the family. Um, uh, and then the lamb is, is, uh, is killed and, and eaten, but the blood of the lamb is put on the doorposts. And when the angel of death sees the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, he passes over the 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 people of Israel. So they're, they're spared this thing. This is all a picture of Jesus um, who is our sacrificial lamb and whose blood covers us so that we are passed over from death to life. We, we, uh, we live eternally in Christ because of what's taken place. And so that's what's happening at Passover. Now, there are seven feasts in Israel. And, and so I said I wanted to highlight them. I'm going to go give you some scripture verses about Passover. But the seven feasts are, are Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, trumpets, atonement, and tabernacles. And these feasts were required to be um, observed by the people of Israel every year. They, they needed to observe these feasts. This was a big deal. It was a part of their thing. They knew when they were coming, there was a lot of signs and things that would happen to get up the first one set up so they would know when Passover was going to take place so they could make sure they hit all the other ones. Um, in, in fact, number six, the, the Day of Atonement, if they missed it, they got kicked out. Um, so so they, they, if they didn't make the other ones, they, you know, they were supposed to make them all. They always made the Day of Atonement, Rosh Hashanah, and they still do. Um, if you, if you watch people who in, in, the, in the Jewish faith, they never miss Rosh Hashanah. They don't miss it. You don't miss that one. So, um, so but they, they were required to go to all seven. Prophetically, so it's fascinating, seven feasts. Now, four of those feasts have already been fulfilled um, by Jesus and the Holy Spirit uh, in, in this process. And so... Um, I'm going to show you that today. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and Pentecost have all been fulfilled already. They've already been fulfilled. Those seven feasts were, were set in place by God so that when Jesus came, the people of Israel would know because they'd been talking about it and preparing for it every year for thousands of years. They would just know that that was what they were supposed to know. That was the deal. Eyes were open. They would see it. The final three have yet to be fulfilled. Trumpets, atonement, and tabernacles. Kind of an interesting spot. And what separates Pentecost and trumpets is the big summer harvest. 
And so guess what we're, time we're in? The fields are ripe for harvest, and uh, workers are supposed to go in the field. And you know what ends the harvest, summer harvest? Big blast on the trumpet. Ends the whole thing. So we're waiting on trumpets. That's where we're at prophetically. But let me just run through them real quick with you. Um, so Passover, you're going to find out um, as we continue to read. I'm going to go to Exodus 12 in a minute. In Leviticus 23, 5, it says, The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. So Passover begins the 14th day of the first month. And um, if you were um, a, a person in the Jewish um, community, you would know Leviticus 23. If you didn't know any other parts of the Old Testament, you would know backwards and forward Leviticus 23 because the feasts are listed there and when they happen because you would want to know when that sixth one was going to take place. So you would back and forwards know Leviticus 23. At least all, it gives you starting dates so that you can get to all seven of them. So the Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. Exodus 12, we're going to read this next week, but I'll read it to you now, 5-7. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. So this is a picture of what's taking place, place prophetically in the process. Now, in Matthew 26, 27 and 28, let's see how it ties back in. Then Jesus took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. There's the shed blood. And uh, John 1, 29, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus, John the Baptist knew that Jesus was indeed the Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb who would um, be our covering, who would take on the sin of the world, uh, whose blood would cover us and, and uh, make a way for us to move from death into life. So you have that happening. It's a picture of what happens on the Passover. Jesus, remember, celebrates the Passover um, there with His disciples right before the crucifixion. All this is going into place. He was there, and then what happens from the Passover is the mock trials, and then, you know, crucifixion, resurrection. All right, so then the next feast that you have is called unleavened bread, Leviticus 23, 6. On the 15th day of that month, the Lord's feast of unleavened bread begins. For seven days you must eat bread made without yeast. So remember, at the, the Last Supper, there's, there's bread involved, and... Uh, you're going to, Jesus says, this is my body, right? Given for you? Okay. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and 8. Get rid of the old yeast, that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. Um, we also know from Scripture, Jesus says, I am the bread. Um, uh, of life. So, so here's this picture now of this, these, these prophetic meals taking place, these things happening with Jesus. And um, so, you know, we go from the Passover meal to His body being on the cross, bloodshed, um, body broken in there. Now, first fruits is Leviticus 23, 10 and 11. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land, I'm going to give you and you reap its harvest... Bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord 
So it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. All right, so in this little period of time um, of what Jesus has done, Passover, going to the cross and shedding his blood and bread being broken, and then um, this first fruit things happens the day after the Sabbath. This is the resurrection day. Um, look at 1 Corinthians 15, 22 through 24. For as in Adam all die... So in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ the first fruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Paul, you know, calls Christ the first fruits. He's saying, okay, he fulfills this first fruits offering by his resurrection on um, the appropriate time and day that they'd always celebrated. Jesus defeats death and he rises again. He's the, he's the first fruit offering. Now, this offering that was, this, this first fruits was actually the first uh, and the smallest of three harvests in Israel. There's that one, the first fruits run. Then there's one at Pentecost, 50 days from then. And then at the end of the summer, there's the final big harvest. All right. So now we just had this little harvest. And there's this fascinating thing that happened with Jesus, this little wave offering that happens with the first fruits. There's, there's another little thing that happens. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Matthew 27, 51 through 53. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open. And the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs. And after Jesus' resurrection, they went to the holy city and appeared to many people. We don't talk about that one or not. But you hear what happens? The, the tomb corn, and Jesus come, and there comes this little first fruit offering of people that, and they do this, I always like to think it's because it's a wave offer and they're around going, hey, how you doing? <laughs> How's it going? You can use that if you want. <laughs> how you doing? Many holy people, they recognize. Pretty crazy, right? You might skip that, but you go, wow, look at that. So here's this whole first fruit things. So those first three feasts that they were commanded to observe, which happened real close to one another, right? A couple, two, three days apart. Boom, boom, boom. Jesus fulfills them all perfectly, just the way he was supposed to. Just if they'd been paying attention to this thing they were doing all the time, they would go, <gasps> there he is. Some of them got it. Most of them didn't. Now, Pentecost is the fourth of these feasts. Leviticus 23, 15 and 16. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, guys came in, count off seven full weeks, count off 50 days, up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. Pentecost. So you guys have heard of Pentecost. This is another harvest. And it's a, it's a grain harvest, and it's bigger than the first fruits harvest, but it's not the biggest harvest that they have later on at the end of the summer. It was a pretty significant harvest. Um, and so you know what happens at Pentecost, right? The Holy Spirit comes. And um, look at this. This is pretty cool. So we, we had that little first fruit thing, right? Some... People pop up in the resurrection with Jesus. You got Jesus. Okay. Acts 2.41. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Pentecost. Bigger, bigger, off, bigger, bigger little thing happens there. Another great offering. Pentecost happens. 3,000 people were added. Probably more than they were counting men. So, wow. Another feast that they'd been observing forever comes to life in their midst. There they go. Right when it was supposed to. For, to the day. Each one of these things hits to the day of how they'd celebrated. Jesus' death, 
Jesus' resurrection, Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost, all of them happen. So they've all been fulfilled in the crucifixion, resurrection, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Three are left. Three feasts are left. The Feast of Trumpets, and, and that occurs at the end of the large harvest season, which is the season we're in. It's the one we're waiting on. So prophetically, we're in this summer season, which is where we're supposed to be gathering the harvest. And at trumpet sound, when, when the, and you read a lot of these verses, when the trumpet sounds, the worshipers of God stop what they're doing, and they go to, to worship, and they're the ones that go. They, they're the only ones that hear the trumpet. They're the ones that go. Off they go. We're waiting for trumpet sound. Um, we're waiting. Always, always want to check. Supposed to live like it's happening, like could happen like before we finish, right? Would that be cool? That'd be cool. All right, then, six and seven. Atonement. It's the big day of judgment that happens. Um, see, now, a lot of stuff happens in here because depending on how you feel about the end times and where you think we position in that, you know, are we, do we get to go out before the tribulation? Do we go out in the middle? Do we go out at the end? And, and uh, I'm not going to tell you how to believe that because I've, I've studied all three of them and there's some great theologians that make all three points. And, and uh, I don't know. I, I get in trouble when I tell people this. And I've come to the idea and the realization that if you if pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, um, you get to go out whatever you believe in. So that's really pretty funny. But nobody laughs. <laughs> uh, pre-trib, please. Um, great arguments for all of them, great studies. But, but this whole thing sets up. One of the reasons I would probably lean to more of a pre-tribulation stance is this whole thing as it ties into the feast with trumpets it makes sense that a trumpet sound we got caught up and because atonement um, our names are written in the book of life that's all that matters Jesus already took care of all the judgment stuff for us on the cross it's not going to be revisited some people are uh, live thinking that they're going to have this moment when they go to be in front of God and all their bad stuff's going to be revealed. If you're in Christ, as far as I can read, it has been covered by the blood and forgotten. It doesn't get relived or rehashed. You've got nothing to be ashamed of. He's already dealt for it. It doesn't need to be brought up again. You can, you can stop worrying that way. Just love Jesus. Do the next right thing. You're good. Um, but a lot of people get hung up on that because of how this looks. But what we get looked at, if your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you're good. All right? So um, the only thing that gets looked at is ultimately, um, I think there's some kind of reward system with crowns involved um, where you get, you get these crowns that you immediately give back to Jesus because you realize it, here. And uh, I couldn't wear it in front of you, so here you go. But thanks for the thought. Um, I, 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 there's something along those lines. I'm going pretty quick, but you can read about that. Then Tabernacles is just, you know, our final spot. I, I think, you know, it's a picture of being with Him forever and what that looks like. And, you know, when Jesus, when Jesus said, I, I'm going to prepare a place for you, um, I, I, that's, that I think is what's going on, and we get those places. Uh, that's what we celebrate in the seven feasts. It's all this prophetic picture of what's going to happen. Now, there's a lot of other stuff involved, and, and you know, um, that was a brief summary of those things, so I left a lot of room. But fascinating study, and if you ever get a chance, you should really dig into those things. But as these now come up, um, as we see them sort of happening in place, we were at Passover, you have an idea of some of these feasts because you've, you've heard us just talk about them, all right? So um, the other thing that I like is seven feasts, and we know that four of them have been fulfilled. That should give us 
for me, that's a big faith thing that the next three are happening. It's just a matter of time. And, and all that we're waiting for is the end of the summer harvest, and God knows when that is. And we're supposed to be busy harvesting, right? So that's what we do, waiting for trumpets and uh, working hard till he gets here. Hope, you know, we hope we're busy at it when he, when he blows the trumpet. That's the whole idea. And then we'll see where we go with the other two, and it'll all be good if you love Jesus. Those are good things. All right, that's all I got to say about that. Uh, if you're watching by video, thank you for doing that. Appreciate you doing that. Come and visit us when you can. We'll pray for you if you need prayer. Go to the website. There's a prayer page, and we will pray for you. And uh, see you soon. Thank you.